0: You are listening to The Dish on Health IT, brought to you by Point of Care Partners, a leading health IT consultancy. Each episode will feature a rotating panel of senior consultants and guests who will talk about trends and innovations in health IT, while also highlighting how organizations can leverage these advances to solve their business problems. Thank you for tuning in to our 2023 end-of-year recap Point of care partner, subject matter experts, Pooja Babra, pharmacy and PBM practice lead. Jocelyn Keegan, Payer Provider Practice Lead, and Kim Boyd, Regulatory Resource Center Lead, came together to discuss their own personal top three 2023 health IT milestones, what they hope 2024 will hold, and perhaps most anticipated, the trio discussed the final version of the Interop 3, Advancing Interoperability and Improving Prior Authorization Rule, giving insights and advice to listeners on how to approach the initial review of this important final rule. We at Point of Care Partners wish you all a happy holiday and happy new year. And don't forget, if you have topic ideas you'd like us to cover in future episodes, be sure to share them with us by emailing us at podcast at or tweeting us at pocphit.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our special year-end episode of A Dish on Health IT our regular listeners will know that we generally invite health IT leaders and trailblazers to break down and discuss some of health IT's biggest news and most exciting milestones. But this time, we're doing it a little bit differently. Most of you probably know that here at of care Partners, we have subject matter experts galore. So today, we've got our group of POC peers to look back at 2023, as well as discuss what 2024 will have in store for healthcare stakeholders. So I'm Pooja Barbara, the Senior Consultant and Pharmacy and PBM Practice Lead here at Point of Care Partners and your host for this episode. And my co host today are Jocelyn Keegan, who I'm so excited to announce, recently was named Direct Trust Interoperability Hero and our wonderful, always steeped in policy knowledge contributor, Kim Boyd. Uh, Kim runs our Regulatory Research Center and is responsible for the team that produces all of our policy subscription services including the interoperability outlook. So 2023 has been anything but boring, uh, and it's not over yet. The industry has been expecting a huge end of year bonus in the form of the final interop three, the advancing interoperability and improving prior authorization rule. You all remember this was the rule that was pulled back and we've been kind of waiting for this for a couple of years now. And so in our special 2023 end of year episode, We're going to cover some of the top things that happened in 2023 and uh, what we think will continue in 2024, and also briefly touch on the interop rule that we're expecting. So before we jump into our discussion, I'd like to actually have Jocelyn and Kim briefly introduce themselves.
2: But Jocelyn, I'm going to start with you. Awesome. I'm excited to be here. Uh, It's actually really fun to get to co-host with you two. I'm so excited for the conversation today. So I run our um, payer practice. I'm our payer practice lead, and uh, I'd say in general... I'm a devotee to all things um, positive change, and really enjoy getting to build things that and and focus on problems that haven't been solved before. I'm also the program manager for what started this idea of you know copying and building on what Argonaut had been able to do within the fire world called Da Vinci, and I focus in our practice from a POCP perspective on payer-provider collaboration, large topics around interoperability, and, um, and then workflows around interoperability between payers and providers, like value-based care, prior authorization, um, and the related. Uh, so excited to talk about not just the uh, 0057 final rule that a referenced, but also I'd say a slew of regulatory activities that are headed our way, Um, as we close out 2023 and head into 2024. Great. Thanks, Joss. Kim, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Joss, it's been a while, but it's been a while since I've had to spend the holidays, right, looking at a lot of regulations, but I just feel it coming on, right? So I'm trying to (laughs) to push through and kind of get everything uh, solidified before those rules drop. But I'm Kim Boyd. I'm a lead of our regulatory resource center team here. And as Pooja indicated, uh, the team here um, in the regulatory resource center side, we're, we're the ones who pull together all of the policy related detail that goes into our subscription services. I've been a member of POCP now going, it'll be two years, two years, uh, two, two years today, as a matter of fact. And um, so it's always a pleasure uh, to talk with both of you and be a part of this conversation. Seems like forever since we had a chance to be in the same room and and have conversations. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, we do have a lot on our plate, right, uh, coming up, and that we help our clients with on an ongoing basis. And I think there's going to be more who come out of the woodwork after all the rules start to drop, right? But. I would definitely be remiss if I didn't recognize you specifically, Jocelyn, and all the kudos that, you know, you've been doing and leading the charge and the payer practice side in that field. You know, it, it really takes a special person and not just anyone who can channel, you know, their devotion to the positive change that we're starting to see and, you know, take it into tangible action. So, you know, kudos to you and the the team over at DaVinci and on many others for continuing to, to lead in these endeavors and paving the highway of progress for us here um, in healthcare. So I, I really appreciate your efforts.
2: Thank you. That's very nice. It's a team sport for sure.
1: Yeah. Thanks, ladies. And and I agree with everything that Kim said. It's been amazing to watch. Jocelyn and and the Da Vinci team and everything you guys are accomplishing. So thank you for that. So uh, I'm thinking for our format today, we spend the first half of our conversation just kind of uh, doing a round robin and sharing our own personal top three events, you know, happenings or trends that happened in 2023. Before we talk about the big anticipated final rule, um, of course we have our 2023 trends article, which we will link in the show notes, um, which gives kind of all a POCP's perspective. But I want to just kind of, like I said, do, do a round robin, um, I can get us started on uh, kind of the top three list and, and you know, what health, what's happened in health IT, uh, and we'll go from there. So actually, Kim, I'm going to start with you in terms of your top three list of, you know, kind of what were your top three from 2023, kind of good, good or bad?
3: I kind of bucket it all. So healthcare interoperability for sure, right? And it's a big bucket. Of things, you know, that were coming out of the 21st C- Century Cures Act and beyond, and all the activity, you know, that we saw um, federally, um, you know, the drop of the 2022 rule, the the 57 rule, 57P, toward the end of 2022, and there's all of the the uh, whirlwind that went around that, uh, and conversations in 2023, and this how how this data integration needs to be fueled, right, and implemented. And I know Joss will probably touch on the, the fire ecosystem, but I think that holistically um, and how we're going to see uh, the industry start to progress, I think it, at a, a greater speed than what we've seen previously. Definitely, and this is a, it's kind of a catchphrase that most people have used, it's been around actually in healthcare for a while, but artificial intelligence and machine learning and large machine learning, I think we'll see even more of that. We saw the HTI 1 rule come out, it talked about transparency. Right, that was driven towards some of those technologies that are being used in healthcare, uh, and I think we're going to see you know greater trends in that area. Of focus on that, and then of course I think telehealth. I don't think if we can get past telehealth, telepharmacy. You know, COVID nineteen broke open the door for that, and I think we're going to continue to see that. So how do we converge? How do we start seeing that those digital applications coming into play through the telehealth to the telehealth platform? So those are three big ones for me. We touched on that many times in our operability outlook in different pieces. Uh, but I think we'll start to see even more, especially, um, you know, with the, the the rules that we expect to come out uh, and what we're going to see happening in, this coming month.
1: Yeah, that's great, Kim. Thanks so much. Uh, and we'll probably come back and touch on some of these. Josh, how about you? What's your list?
2: So I'd say my list um, is complementary to Kim's and maybe from a maybe a different slice, right? Because I've been sort of at this work um, around the clinical data exchange side of the world for quite some time. So I think that to me, what has been meaningful about 2023 is we've talked about sort of moving into implementation mode and the real world progress and adoption of Fire starting to happen at scale um, is really starting to be felt and I think acknowledged and witnessed by folks. And we're seeing people make more progress if they're not public and talking about what they're doing. You can tell that they're actively engaged and they've picked up guides and they're using them. Um, and I think we could see that in two ways. The first is, I think the reaction to the attachments rule that dropped alongside the um, prior authorization and bird reduction rule last year is really telling, right? We, we came out this summer and heard from some of the major professional organizations, AHA and AHIP and... Our colleagues at the American, um, from AMA, you know, really sort of joined hands and said, you know, don't get in the way of the progress of um, what we're doing with APIs in real time, and uh, and I think the counterpoint to that was that we didn't really see, you know, wholesale negative responses to the proposed interoperability rule. I think partly to Pooja's point because we had seen a version of it and that that version reflected. I think some of the concerns around maturity of the the work in progress and the guides, but I think that that to me, having been one of the people that actually read all of the responses, right, because it's so near and dear to my day to day activities, um, was there wasn't there wasn't a "don't do this, this isn't the right way to do this." There was an acknowledgement of we need time to absorb it and to make it real and to learn as we go um, in the responses to the NPRM. I think that's really telling. The second thing I think that uh, is important, and I agree, um, sort of this move around AI, but again, it's a topic that we've been talking about for a really long time. So I think the acknowledgement and the steps around HTI1 and the industry conversation about sort of what is the built-in bias and how do we make sure that we have equity in the use of some of these advanced technologies, and maybe there's some flaws in the early data that they're being modeled on, I think shows sort of a maturity around the topic around AI, and I think that's important. And then I think the other thing for all of us, I think that have sort of been waiting sort of, you know, sort of on the sidelines watching is, you know, what is TEFCA really going to be? What isn't it going to be? Um, and again, tying back to the first topic, uh, you know, we were re- we've were we been waiting to see what is that alignment between the TEFCA infrastructure and rules and framework um, and, and this emerging API world and moving to more real-time interactions um, and the acknowledgement that we really need to get alignment between the fire roadmap and the TEFCO roadmap. I think anybody that's seen Mickey speak in the last quarter, it, I think, is hearing sort of really that push to make sure that that's a fast follow. And we're seeing early adopters in the candidate Q hands really trying to figure out what that fire or network fire solution looks like. So it really addresses scaling. Um, and I think in there is an important theme, which is I feel like the industry between the Attachments responses and sort of this need to drive heft get a fire are really showing really the mature sort of advancing organizations acknowledgement that we need to get out of documents and get into codified data. And I think that that'll be an important theme as we go into 2024.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we've always said so many times on this podcast that, you know, this isn't a sprint, it's a marathon, right? So I think that's what we're seeing, right? I mean, rules dropped. We, you know, we saw some things pulled back. We were seeing progression. And I do love the fact that both of you brought in the, the AI aspect because, you know, all of that swirling, I think every single conference we all went to this year, that was a big topic, but we're starting to see it kind of narrow, right? And, and I think that health equity bias is an important one on that. So I'm going to share my list. I love the fact that, you know, we can all come up with different ideas uh, and and kind of top trends. It just shows how much is really happening in the industry. So, of course, you know, my number one, I would say, is pharmacy interoperability. Um, I think that's absolutely number one for me. Um, I was honored to participate in the high-tech pharmacy interoperability task force. And, you know, for years, we've talked about how important it is, you know, how we can bring pharmacists in. I think a few years ago now, we had uh, Steve Posnack on and, you know, I kept talking about pharmacy. And so it's nice to see that kind of finally, you know, finally became a reality in terms of getting a focus on it and just some real momentum, right, of how you share data with pharmacists and how they get access to patient records. I know at Sequoia, right, the Sequoia Annual Conference was uh, last week, week before, all about Tesca, but we did have a, a panel on pharmacy interoperability. So I think that, you know, especially going into 2024, we're going to see, I think, a lot of focus on that. And I think my number two, number three are kind of some new trends that are coming about. I think, you know, we all talk about, moving from fee-for-service to, from, from fee to value-based care. And part of that, again, from a pharmacy perspective is uh, pharmacogenetics, pharmacogenomics, you know, doing that testing, right, to make sure the medications are working on patients. You know, NCPDP held a stakeholder action group earlier in the year. You know, we have a colleague, Kelly Petzelt, who's an expert in that area who's been on stage this year talking about that and so again that kind of recognition right of of course we have providers and payers we always talk about pharmacy interoperability or uh, you know the interoperability for that now we're finally getting to pharmacy interoperability and what pharmacists can do and I think my last one is just digital therapeutics that's a topic that you know we of care partners we're doing some work around again it's becoming actually a, a topic with payers you know are they going to cover them are they not and so that's another area that I've been focused on that I think, you know, there's been a lot kind of swirling in terms of trends, but I think we're going to start to see some real focus on how do we bring those into workflow uh, and into the EHR and, and you know, payer coverage of those types of therapies. So I think, you know, those are really kind of my my three, you know, I'm excited actually to share some of the digital therapeutics work that we're going to be doing uh, in 2024 as well. So. All right, so that was our top three, I think. Lists. Um Kim, do you want to comment or share any thoughts about either my list
3: or Jocelyn's
1: list? Anything they but... converge,
3: yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think yeah. you're, Pooja, you're spot on, right? That there's been. Kind of these two sides of the ecosystem in healthcare, you know, for some period of time where you've got pharmacy services and NCPDP and the standards that they do there. And they've been that 45 years, right. And we've all been in leadership there uh, and progressing things under NCPDP. We've all now been in the HL7 realm and continuing to, to evolve how the fire ecosystem is going to work. And and Jocelyn, you mentioned it right in DEFCO, right. There's still a lot of questions there, but you know, I see this convergence started to ha- starting to happen within or at least the opportunity and where we need to have systemic interoperability across both of those ecosystems. Um, you know, and how how is pharmacy interoperability you know, like through the, the high tech, which, again, congratulations for your your leadership there. I think that that was a really good task force and the recommendations coming out of there. I think you're going to continue to to play into how does pharmacy continue to evolve and also interoperate around those specialty things that you're talking about that, that Kelly's so good at on BGX and on the digital therapeutics. And when a plan decides to cover it, how are we going to make sure that that information is flowing in a way in which uh, the patient can quickly get to that? to that care and utilize that care. Right. So I think, you know, NCPDP and, you know, the strategic planning committee the board and the task groups that are working on a lot of smart stuff uh, around pharmacogenomics and around uh, digital therapeutics and on social determinants, right. Of health and this data that needs to flow. Um, and I think fire is one of those key components that, you know, that Jocelyn and the team has been working on, on HL7 side. Yeah, absolutely. Joss. how about you? Any comments on our, Top three? Well,
2: so you know, you know, I'll double down right on the part, including the pharmacists in care and in care planning and in care delivery. You know, anyone over the last couple of years that's had the opportunity to engage with U.S. healthcare at scale understands how thin everyone is, and I think being able to make sure that we can get the critical data at the right time to the right participants, so that we can actually improve patient care, I think that that's huge. It's long overdue, um, and I think previous to conversations we had, you know, sort of in the early days of trying to move around this clinical data, I do think the technology is there and the regs to support that at scale, I think is happening. Um, I do agree with Kim and, and you on sort of the PTX side of the world. I think there's probably some parallel with genomic and genomic testing there that I think that um, this idea of how are we actually doing, you know, care at scale around. Um, that's going to get paid for by by the payers, I think, is important. Um, and I think we're going to see, you know, as, as as this convergence that Kim is describing happening, you know, this ability for us to be able to crosswalk between standards. And I'm sure we'll get into that as we talk about 2024 more. But you know, um, technology is built to crosswalk from one standard to another. Uh, it being standard is what's important. Uh, versus, I think what we've dealt with is the standards have been more brittle in the past, and so there's been a lot of customization. So I think the more we can have flexible standards, the easier it will be um, for us to really be able to allow it, allow people to move across these different paradigms and different domains. Uh, it's great to see the pharmacy side of the world getting the recognition for the progress that has been made in automation, really, compared to other parts of healthcare. Uh, I think that's really welcome, but um, I'm excited to see, um, you know, the medical side and the you know, provider payer side of the world sort of get to parity. Um, in addition, you know, came to your point, sort of the larger fire landscape. I think this ability for us to really be able to have other communities continue to sit on top of and step up and, you know, um, get up to parity with data exchange about, you know, some of really the exciting work around public health and with the CDC getting involved in APIs and CMS looking at really pushing. Quality measures um, into more of an API-based exchange. You know, the more we can get data moving in real time or near real time, I'm um, in handling and maturing sort of how to do that at scale at populations. You know, I think the better off we're all going to be able to do the fix real business problems. So I'm excited.
1: Yeah, and I think Kim, you know this well. Uh, you know, it, uh, we talked a lot at NCPDP strategic planning about you know how do you bring pharmacists in, right? And and I think you know. But kind of incorporating them into an actual value-based care contract is not always easy, but you know there are models that can be used. But it's like, how do you exchange that data, right? And and how do pharmacists have access to that data? And I think this focus on pharmacy interoperability and it's it's not just for pharmacists, but for the providers too, right? To find out what pharmacists are are you know hearing from their patient. I you know I always use a, an, an example for social determinants of health, right? A doctor may have written a prescription for a patient who basically tells their pharmacist you know, the pharmacist says, hey, you need to refrigerate this. And they, you know, they don't have a refrigerator, right? Because they're, you know, in transition in their, you know, in their housing, And so it's things like that of not just, you know, having the pharmacist be doing those medication things, but what information can flow back to the provider as well. Even if they're not in a value-based care contract, there's information that should be flowing back and forth. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's been nice to get that focus. So, all right. Anything else before we move on to the uh, I, I big? We're just
2: talking about Kim. I'm uh, sorry, Bridget, I think that I think this point around the information that the pharmacist gets because the pharmacist is the person that sees the patient often the most. It's not just about getting data back to providers, it's about getting data to the right person, right? So, in that case, it might be are there referral services? Are there support services? And how do we really think about that extended community? Pay- um, um, care team. And I don't think that there's a, you know, there's not a, there's not a straight walk, right, of how we're going to get there. But I think being able to standardize the information, standardize the workflows so that it can be scalable across members of the provider or the care community that just are completely locked out of these workflows today because the barrier to entry technology-wise or investment-wise in some of these platforms is just You know, it's just a non-starter. And so I think that I was listening to one of my colleagues talk about, you know, being inside of an internal meeting and trying to turn on new fire APIs. And she used the description of like, you know, they sort of laugh when they get feedback from the developer, like how long is it going to take to stand up the next, you know, the next payer that does this? And the developer's like, I think I need a week to do that. You know, whereas in the past it would have been, this is a nine month project, right? Of somebody coding and working on it. That it's just, you know, the power of being able to get to the second, third, fourth, fifth user of this information in their workflow is just, you know, it's, it's going to operate like the rest of us rely on our technology today to get things done. So, I mean, it won't be easy, but it, 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 the, the technology won't be the block. So, I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. And I do
1: feel like in 2024, we're going to see hopefully some progress on some of that community-based organization, uh, you know, and how do we loop them in as well. I think there's a lot a lot of discussion around that.
3: Yeah, I so think there's the a lot of focus of, okay. around that and, and for yeah. obvious reasons, right? Yep. Because it, it does take a community to help a patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it's not just one one resource. And, but to Jocelyn's point, right, pharmacists do see the patients a lot. They do. Uh, a lot more than a primary care provider. So how do we, you know, continue to, to move the needle on, on access, use and exchange? In a more timely in a more timely manner, and I think we'll see a lot more of that in 2024. Yeah, definitely. All Without right, the rules. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Speaking of rules. <laughs> All right, so we're waiting. Um, I think it's at OMB uh, as of this recording of this podcast. So we're waiting for this new rule to drop um, earlier this year. I know we did a few webinars to provide kind of an overview uh, of the proposed rule and um also recap the comments. Um, since then, we've seen, you know, kind of various policymakers speak at conferences, maybe tip their hand a little bit. And so uh, what I'd like to focus on next is just, you know, thinking about the NPRM actually and talk about kind of the big things that were included and, you know, talk about kind of, where we think it's actually going to land uh, after, because I know, Kim, your team kind of went through all the, the comments. Joss, I'm sure on the DaVinci side, you guys did as well. <laughs> so, uh, I, Kim, I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, you know, what was in the proposed rule or comments that made, uh, you know, kind of caught your interest or maybe raised your eyebrows a little bit? Do uh, you want to comment on that?
3: yeah happy to and josh reminds me all the time it's not just about prior authorization i call it the pa rule <laughs> it's so much more much broader. <laughs> it is so much more but she knows i'm a pa buff and I, and i want to see prior authorization resolved and and get us to a more streamlined fashion of helping patients figure out you know the, the their treatment and what they're going to be covered for and and get to that more expeditiously and i think we can and i think this this rule is one of those key pieces to help move it, but it does contain, you know, a lot more about clinical data exchange and what needs to be done and what needs to be utilized to, to make that happen. You know, from payer to payer to provider to provider to provider to patient access APIs to to the D or or a prior authorization, you know, API exchange using the Da Vinci implementation guides, right? So. You know, not surprised when the rule came out and started calling for recommendations for use of, you know, APIs and, you know, the the based APIs and the work that has come out of, again, DaVinci. Uh, you know, I know our the Codex use case, which I lead uh, for prior authorization, we're leaning into that and going ahead and, and getting ahead or trying to get ahead of implementing those implementation guides to do prior authorization. And it's going really well, in, 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 given given the ecosystem that we have right now and, and the data availability in the systems. But, you know, I really was, um, Jocelyn mentioned this earlier, right? We had the, the 57 come out, but we also had the attachments in VRM come out, not shortly thereafter. <laughs> and just, you know, just the starkness of comments, Between the two, not only the type of comments, but the volume, the volume of comments on the CMS improving interoperability and prior authorization rule was just statistically great. Whereas, you know, the attachment rule was, was pretty low, but, you know, we found that, you know, in our assessment, right, that overall roughly 68%, I'll repeat what we had talked about in our webinar some months ago, you know, 68% overall agreed. With the intent of the rule, there were some specific concerns like HIPAA related concerns, but very few actually disagreed with the rule overall, which I found, um, which I found interesting. And that ninety five of the percent of the providers, not shockingly, you know they they wanted more efficiency, they want quicker turnaround times they want to have more uh transparency right into why a treatment or why a uh course of treatment might have been denied or partially denied, so they're looking for that streamline. Uh, information as well. And again, I know I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on the PA part, but that's my, I love that part. <laughs> um, but then you, but as a patient, I like also that there was patient access API, more information related into that, that more information is going to have to be put into the patient's access API that is, that is required to be stand up by payers. So patients have more transparency into their, their healthcare, including determinations uh, about, you know, their care, uh, that are that are being done between the provider community and the payer community. So those were definitely a couple of, of big things that stood out for me uh, from from that NPRM. What about you, Joss?
2: Oh my gosh, so um, so I think it's really good that Kim acknowledges and has identified her bias. So that's really good. <laughs> the first step. <laughs> so um, so I have my own bias. I'm going to disclose because uh, I have a, what we call a specialty medication soapbox. I like to get on. Um, And I think that one of the things that was frustrating to me in the current rule, um, although I adore my Obrey High colleagues, and I know that this is a really sticky wicket to get through, is really clearly trying to figure out how we are going to provide relief for people that are trying to get automation around specialty medications, because it's largely left out of the rule as it was proposed. And so I'm really hoping to see some relief for that um, so that we don't end up with this whole that people can work around not having to automate things that are on medical benefit and are high cost drugs or infusions um, that will be considered out of scope or could be interpreted as out of scope uh, for folks who don't want to move forward with automation and, and need the, the stick, right, instead of the carrot. I'm going to tell you one of the things that made me really happy was the inclusion and reference around attribution and the front matter of the rule and that it was a nice little surprise that the CMF team acknowledged the role of the DaVinci attribution guide um, because we found everybody picking up to adopt fire in generally uh, doesn't really think about how they're deciding how they're matching and that so for places where there is an established relationship between uh, a payer and a provider or trading partners that there's a that there's a tool out there. and so that was a really great boost and um, we've seen a lot of maturity and adoption and people picking up that attribution guide. Um, this year, I think it, it, it gave some great focus, which is awesome, Brema, yeah. um, because it's a building block, right? So much is like getting started and making sure you have the right building block. And the other thing I was surprised about is that it wasn't staggered. We really expected from the Da Vinci community perspective, and I would say have given some pretty strong opinions over the past couple of years to our all of our HHS colleagues, ONC and CMS a lot, uh, um, alike about really making sure that we allow people to have incremental progress. So we were surprised that everything was pegged at that 2026 deadline. And I think that there's a, there's a, I want to, I want to call this out because I think it's important. I get to see a different side of the world, um, both with our consulting hats on and my Roland da Vinci, which is, you know, I think it took the air out of people that were making internal progress on things like payer to payer or provider, um, you know, payer to provider workflows building on patient access API. And I think it provided buffer for people that haven't been compliant with patient access API it stole some momentum I think from the industry for it to get pushed to 2026 because when we look at how funding models work and how a lot of organizations get their money, right? To do these projects, 2026 is an eternity away at the end of 2022. So I'm really hoping to see um, some more realism from a staggering perspective going forward. There's so much built into these rules. You know, people really need to have their house in order um, because there's there's just a lot that's going to need to be done, well beyond sort of just the adoption of a technology layer and and an API service, right? And well, I'm sure we'll unpack that as we get further along. So, um, but those those were sort of my sort of takeaways. Um, but I have this funny like um, field experience reading the you know the uh, the comments themselves. Do they like us? So I I was thrilled in the, the stats that Kim just put out about sort of the positive response. To me, um, is is We're ready. You know, there's a vacuum here. We need to fix these problems for payers and providers so people can focus on the important stuff caring for patients.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you called out the specialty medications. But, you know, that's one thing that I think you and I, you know, and the surprising thing is I think people in industry are, you know, we're kind of going back to that. I and mean, we put together slides a couple of years ago that yeah. I've dusted off in the past three months because all of a sudden people are like, wait, you can't, you know, yeah. on, medication you it, right? exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bring out the soapbox, bring out the slides, let's start, yeah. you know, so uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see because I know quite, a, I think a couple of people must've commented on that and, you know, why leave them out? I think it's such an important piece, right? And and we do see that as kind of the, the longest uh, piece when it comes to medications and getting that prior yeah. authorization. So there's no reason that uh, if it's covered under the medical benefit, it shouldn't be included. So right. uh, great call out. All right. So now that we've given our audience a bit of a reminder uh, of what was in the proposed rule, let's talk a little bit about kind of when the rule drops and, and what's going to happen. And and um, I know both of you are going to dig into the final rule, whether it drops you know before the holidays <laughs> or right after the holidays. So, if you were going to give advice uh, to our listeners on maybe some of the keywords you'd use to search the final rule, um, what would they be? <laughs> the trivia. Here we go. Josh, I'm going to start with you on this one.
2: It's going to be so painfully like um, transparent and what I'm going to do, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to keyword search on the words Da Vinci
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and
2: the entire world <laughs> to see how many times it's mentioned, and then I'm going to move to the IGs. So, yeah. I mean, painfully transparent. That's going to be like, where are we included? Where are we not included? Um, but I think overall, I think that that timeline is one of the things that folks are going to look at. And I think taking the time to do a really good skim of the front matter of the um, the, uh, the, 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 the sort of the scoping sort of section Um, before it actually gets into the body of the rule, I think is a really good best practice for folks to really think about. I don't know, to me, um, I think that, you know, if you just went through the conversation that we had, right? Payer to payer, you know, what's in prior authorization and the timelines, I think are probably going to be the biggest thing that I'll focus on for that first time reading. And then we'll joke about how much of the actual detail reading I'll do versus reminding (laughs) my friend Kim. (laughs) You just point out that for me to go and interpret. <laughs> That's exactly what I do. So, Kim, <laughs>
3: what's your approach? <laughs>
1: you mean,
2: She's like there well,
1: First and
3: foremost, is. I'm going to break out the eggnog. Yeah. Okay. No, just is it
2: whiskey or rum. Yeah. Whiskey. It's got to
3: be whiskey all the way. Brown, brown liquor girl. But no, in all in all seriousness, I'm, you know, I'm really I'm looking. How weird is this? I'm really looking forward to it um, because I think it's long overdue. Yeah. But with, as with Jocelyn said, I think the timelines, you know, I, we didn't really talk about that. We were talking about kind of what we we were surprised by. There wasn't a staggering. I think the only staggering really was the Medicaid exemptions, um, you know, and that Medicaid was going to get, has an opportunity to be exempted for a year, then potentially another exception for a year. It'll be inter- interesting to see if 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 that remains. I think it will, but I'll definitely look for that. But timeline variances any shifts right in requirements for use of the standards. So you know what Jocelyn was just saying, I'm gonna I'm gonna look for the standards language first and see what's still out there and, and what's not. Did something shift from that? I also think any new, you know, additional references to TEFCA, we talked about TEFCA earlier, I think there, you know, there were five requests for information in that rule as well that, again, I didn't mention earlier, but I'll mention now, right? And, uh, you know, accelerating the, do- the adoption of social risk factors, as an example, what were, what were going to be people's thoughts about that and considering the, the social factors that we have in healthcare today and, and that many are focused on. They also talked about maternal health, which came out during the COVID, which came out during COVID as well, right? And and coverage for maternal health. Um, so what will be the responses to that? I'll look for that. But definitely Tefka. Any references to TEFCA and the continuation of of improving that ecosystem uh with fire, I think will definitely be part of what I'll read through. But got to look for prior authorization. That should have been the first thing I said was prior authorization (laughs) out of the gate, but uh, really timeline. I'd like to see if the timeline shifted in some way, because I think that will also help us as we help um, others that we consult with on, you know, where are they at in their roadmap and get realistic about it if they haven't already. And I sure hope many have, I know several that we worked with have worked with, have gotten pretty uh, aggressive about that. I think it will also help me in the Codex conversation with the members who are there and trying to progress, you know, prostate cancer um, prior authorization. So, yeah, that's what I'll look for.
1: Good. Well, I know it's just a waiting game now, and final rule may drop week or two weeks or longer after this episode airs. So I hope we gave some folks, some of our listeners, some good reminders of not only what was in the proposed rule, but of how to approach reviewing the final rule when it drops. And I love the idea of the eggnog. <laughs> so That's a great one. All right. So um, let's close out this episode by going around and really sharing what we hope to see happen or work we hope that uh, makes some more progress in 2024 um, and just any other final thoughts. So Joss, I'm going to start with you and then uh, Kim, uh, you go after Joss.
2: So I'm going to say, like, I just am so thankful for getting to work with you guys and all the other people I get to work with. You know, it's really, it's a privilege to get to do the work that we get to do um, and sort of the influence that we help drive in the industry uh, to move the industry forward. I mean, I think that you could hear the themes of transparency, right? We need to give better tools to providers and to our payer partners and to the vendors that support them in the industry, right? So so we as consumers have more transparency about what is, how we're going to navigate, you know, individual care journeys. And I think that's important. Um, second, I'm going to say in 2024, I I was just working on my year-end sides for DaVinci. And to me, it's, you know, I'm a broken record. Like, it, this is an exercise in, you know, who and how are you going to get this work done? This is happening, right? And so, um, you know, if you don't have a plan or you haven't picked your partner's, You don't know what your requirements are. You haven't done the work to scope out what your projects would look like or who's going to be on your team um, to respond to this and many other regs that we did not talk about today, right? We didn't talk about HTI 1 in detail. We didn't talk about, you know, some of the skinny but powerful rules we saw around information blocking. I I think we're going to start to see enforcement next year, right? I think that the ONC and CMS are going to start going out as these rules are out there and, you know, starting to... To pick who they're going to, um, you know, have enforcement with, and, and I think that that is going to make people move faster. And and that this work that we're doing is so much more than just technology. This is really about business transformation and how are you fundamentally setting up how you are going to work with your partners, you know, whether it be providers to payers or pharmacy or other community members, and the right data flowing, including all that really rich. SUH data um, and social data that we need to collect so that we can care for people and get them the services that they need. Um, And we have to educate and build the people to do this work. You know, people aren't out there. We're learning as we go, right? All of us collectively um, from our experience, um, you know, you're not gonna be able to go and hire people off the street to do this work. This really is an exercise in investing and building the people to do this work and have your game plan about how you're gonna get it done, done. Um, so I would say I'm really looking forward to others coming to join us. You know, the water's warm. We're all learning together. You know, there is no right answer, I think, at this point in time. And so um, I really, more and more real-world implementation. And I'm going to make a note um, that Kim said something that I'm reacting to, which is I think that we have the federal landscape. And, you know, I see that a lot of states are moving to action. And I I think even if the CMS timelines are further out than we anticipate. I anticipate we've seen Washington and California and there's activity happening in Mass and in Utah. You know, I I think we're gonna see the states not provide the relief for those Medicaid, you know, um, plans and, and, and organizations. And the states are gonna be bullish and move faster, I think, in some places than our federal partners. So I'm really, I'm looking forward to see what becomes real from an implementation standpoint in 2024.
1: Hey, Kim, thoughts on 2024.
3: You know, I, I think 2024 20, is going to encapsulate all of what we've talked about already and more. I do think that to Jocelyn's point, I think we're going to see more and more come out from the Office of National Coordinator and uh, rulemaking around um, certification processes. You know, we talked about pharmacy interoperability. We didn't talk about the CY25 rule that's got real-time prescription benefit and a new script standard, right? And they've they've held off doing any particular rulemaking around certification for those two two technologies or those two standards and their implementation. But Jocelyn, you just hit on it, right? States are also doing a lot of stuff. I just saw a Wisconsin bill come through where they're going to take $500,000 each fiscal year to empower the adoption of real-time prescription benefit tools in Wisconsin. Right. And they're going to they're going to put kind of put their money where their mouth is to kind of help move these innovations and these patient empowerment uh, solutions to fruition where we've seen it lagging. So, you know, 2024 ONC, big time, um, you know, additional CMS rules coming out on other other parts of the ecosystem like e-prescribing. There's a support act 2.0 out there uh, and the focus on opioid use disorders. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of activity there. But, um, you know, AI, we talked about it earlier. We're going to see more and more AI. I think we're going to see some states come out with some more specific uh, details relative to the use of artificial intelligence and in healthcare. I think privacy and security uh, are going to be a big component of that. We, of course, would be remiss if we didn't mention the go live for TEFCA, right? How is that going to play out in the first six months or so of 2024? And you know, we're on it, we're focused on it and we're watching it and not only watching it, but engaged in it. I mean, Pooja was just on a panel, right? And at Sequoia and, and talking about really smart stuff. And we have a lot of folks within our midst who are on it every single day and helping organizations figure out how to traverse the path and focus on, you know, go-to-market strategies uh, based on what is in front of them, either competitively or through the policy landscape. And they go hand in hand. I think we're going to see, some additional consolidations within healthcare that are going to play a, a big role in how we interoperate and how patients receive care. And I, I just think there's a lot ahead for us, really smart stuff that can happen, uh, but you need to stay on top of it. And, it, and it's something that you've got to stay on top of every day. And uh, we're here, here to help you be empowered by that. And, uh, you know, hope that uh, what we see come to fruition is nothing but positive.
1: Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Kim. Uh, And just to add to what you guys said, I think 2024, you know, I said this earlier, pharmacy interoperability, right? I think what we saw these last two quarters was really kind of the recommendations that came out from tech that said we need to bring in pharmacists, you know, we need to bring in pharmacy to the table. I think the Sequoia uh, at the annual conference, you know, we kind of stood on stage and said, don't forget pharmacists, right? And so there's already kind of talk swirling of maybe a pharmacy work group under the Sequoia project. And I think a lot of our recommendations that came out of the high tech committee was really just kind of bringing stakeholder t- stakeholders together to focus on different topics. So I think my kind of, you know, 2024 final thoughts is like Josh said, right? Like join us. Um, I think there's a lot of people that have a lot of great knowledge um, on the pharmacy side and real kind of hands-on experience with pharmacy interoperability. And we really need you guys to kind of step up, right, and and bring that knowledge forward um, to make sure that we're including that. So that's kind of my what i think is going to come in 2024 so all right well uh as we end this episode our last episode i should say of 2023 i just want to thank my wonderful colleagues Justin keegan and kim boyd uh for joining me today and and thanks to our audience uh for listening to the dish on health i t you know this year uh we had a lot of support from you all and and truly that means everything uh so just a friendly reminder to new listeners. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really whatever platform you use to pick up your podcast, um, including the Healthcare Now radio and the podcast channel. Um, we also post Videos of our chats on the Pointing Care Partners YouTube channel, um, which is also on our website. So, uh, thank you to everyone for uh, who listened to episodes this year, who joined us, uh, and we're really looking forward to uh, to joining you all in 2024. And remember, health IT is a dish best served hot.
0: Is it a challenge to stay on top of interoperability regulations and the flurry of activity with fire accelerators? Email us at interopoutlook at pocp.com to learn more about our new Interoperability Outlook subscription monitoring service.